reading is Exodus chapter 20. Please turn with me there. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were moved and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you. And that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth shalt thou, <clears throat> thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen, In all places whereof I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So we have this most famous passage in scripture. The giving of the ten commandments upon Mount Sinai. Movies have been made about it. I don't recommend those movies. Because they always have to add or subtract. You know. God gives us what we need to know right here. In these words. And if, we gonna, if we're going to make a movie out of it. We have to make up stuff. 
And when we begin to make up stuff, we always run the risk, may I say the certainty, no risk, of making up stuff that's not in the Bible and therefore not something we ought to or need to know. These kinds of movies that depict scripture, yeah, not good. And especially when any person of the Godhead is depicted. I've heard Mel Gibson is getting ready to put out his sequel to The Passion of the Christ. I won't watch that one either. I don't need my mind influenced by something not biblical. And beloved, neither do you. Neither do you. Okay, so notice the first statement here uh, that we have in the Ten Commandments. It's not a commandment at all. It's a statement of God's redemption. I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. This is not, here are my commands, you keep them and then I'll deliver you. This is, here are my commands, I give them to you because I've delivered you. This remains true today, beloved. The Lord has delivered us out of the bondage of sin and Satan. And in delivering us out of the bondage of sin and Satan, he has said, here are my commandments. We don't earn our way out of bondage by keeping the commandments. God gives his redeemed people his commandments as a gift. Don't look the gift horse in the mouth, as the old saying goes. Don't look at the Lord and say, why have you given me these commandments? God says, I have given them to you because you are my redeemed people and I love you. That's why I give you commandments. Okay? So, all of those New Testament guys that are saying the Old Testament's passé, including the commandments of God, um, well, they will tell you that some of those commandments remain, right? But we have ten commandments here. They're written by the finger of God in stone. They are unique from all other commandments in that way. When we talk about the ten commandments in our theological training, we learn that they are the summary of God's law. They're not... All the law. The the law is not, quote, Ten Commandments. It's not that. Even the ceremonial laws of the Jews of the Old Testament and the civil laws that God gave to them as a body politic, as as a nation, those had some kind of moral underpinning, some kind of relation to the Ten Commandments. Right? And so these ten, count them all ten, are written in stone. When we come to the New Testament, we don't come with plaster and fill up one of those commands, namely the fourth, that it no longer applies. They're a unit. James says, if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. The law stands or falls as the moral law, not as ten commandments, you know, ten good suggestions, you can keep some and leave others. But it rises or falls all together, James will tell us. And so when we look at the Ten Commandments, we want to remember the teaching that we received from the Westminster theologians and our larger catechism, question number 99, where we hear that where a duty is commanded, the like sin is forbidden, and where a sin is forbidden, the opposite duty is commanded. Right? In other words, this is not just a statement of don't, it's a statement of do as well. When the Lord says, thou shalt not... He also includes a myriad of things that thou shalt in every command. Further, the tenth commandment tells us as sort of the regulator, the rudder for the whole, 
that all of these have to do with the heart and not simply the behavior. We want the behavior to be right, but the heart being right is the main thing. If we have, Jesus will tell us in Matthew 15, the heart right, then we won't have adulteries, fornications, and other such things coming out of the heart through the mouth. Right? James will say what? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? The mind and the heart in Scripture are often the same thing. Okay, so what do we have here in these Ten Commandments? Then we have what we call the summary of the moral law. And the summary of the moral law can also be had in two commandments. Most of you know them. Two great commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. And notice how that corresponds to the first table and the second table of the law. You see, they're both summary statements. So then, in these Ten Commandments, we're going to find throughout the rest of Scripture things that are implied, things that are applied uh, by means of these commandments. And so, parents, here's a trick for you. This is what we call it today. You can call it a weird trick. You can call it a hack. Either way. When you're disciplining your children, help them, educate them, cause them to be able themselves one day to be able to run back the sin that they've committed to which commandment or commandments it was. Because every sin will be traceable back to one or more of the Ten Commandments. This is the summary statement. Okay, Now, that it is the summary statement means then that the rest of Scripture is going to bear out all kinds of these things. All right, so what is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God is the only true God, and we will not worship anything except him. Now, keep in mind that, as Calvin said, our minds are veritable forges of idols. We're always making up idols. That's what Romans 1 said in our reading earlier today. So we must always be purging those idols out of our minds. Um, the, the, the prophet is told to come to the people and, and to tell them, you have idols in your heart. Right? The people of God, idols in their heart. We might entertain those things as well. Is there anything we love over much? Is there anything we put our trust in other than God? Right? Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. If you're trusting in horses or chariots, you're commanding first commandment idolatry. You've replaced God with something else. You can do that with your spouse, with your children. In fact, many parents in the world often idolize their children, treat them like gods and give them everything they want. Right? Whatever their child commands, they do it. That's idolizing your children. It's not raising them, parents. Okay, so first commandment, idolatry, to have any other gods. Um, Let me say also that the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the God of the Mormon Church, even the God of the Roman Catholic Church is a different God. They have a billion Christs over there. We have one. Okay? So um, there is another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. Right? We worship God triune. The triune God. Children, you can answer this question, can't you? How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one God. The same in substance. Equal in power and glory. That's God. Anything less than that is not God. Not at all. Second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or anything 
that is said beyond that. We'll not take the time to repeat it. But what God teaches us in this passage is not only not to make images, whether that's a three-dimensional image or a flat image, right? Graven or image. But that we will worship him only in the way that he has commanded. There are many times in scripture where we will see people worship what they think is the true God by means of a way he has not commanded and the Lord simply destroys that every time. When we begin to worship God in a way that is pleasing to us rather than in a way that is pleasing to him, we begin worshiping our wills. The Bible calls that will worship in Colossians chapter 2. Will worship is a heinous sin. Oh, well, I'm going to go to this church because they have, a, they have a band and I like that. Right? We call it a worship service for a reason. Who are we coming to serve? We're coming to serve the Lord. We're not supposed to be served. We come to serve, not to be served. The sad part about that is many churches have taken that up. And so they said, seeing that the people of God come to be served, we'll be catering to them then. And we'll develop a commercial model and we'll advertise and we'll cater to our clientele and we'll get more people in because we do. And then we'll say how successful the ministry is. We'll commit will worship and we'll let others commit will worship and then we'll proclaim how successful that is. It's not successful. We worship God in the way that he has commanded. Anything else is will worship. It's why we sing the Psalms. It's why we read scripture. Why we preach from scripture, exposit scripture. Why we pray together, and so on. God has commanded all these things. We can point to a place in the Bible where God says, do this. We can point to that. We're obeying him in that. This is what worshiping in spirit and in truth means. We want, in that we worship God in the way that he's commanded, two things from that. We want a proper form, and we want God to purify our hearts so that we bring him a pure heart in doing that. Hearts purified by faith, worshiping God according to his command. That's what the second commandment is all about. So what is ruled out of court is anything that God has not commanded. Not, not forbidden, right? If he hadn't forbidden it, we can do it. No, no. That's not the Bible's way. There are many things not forbidden that people suffered from for doing in Scripture. Nadab and Abihu were slain. Why? Because they offered fire that was unauthorized. That's the, that's the Hebrew word. Unauthorized fire. It wasn't commanded fire. It was fire they thought was good. And so they were slain for it. Uzzah touched the ark. David says, the Lord broke out upon us because we didn't follow him according to the due order. That ark should have been on the shoulders of the Levites with the poles. We put it on a cart instead. And so the Lord broke out upon even well-meaning Uzzah who, who attempted to stay the ark when the oxen stumbled. That everyone would know from that day forward that God is to be worshipped according to his command. And he does not take will worship lightly, ever. The heart is also very important, beloved. We know that. We see the Lord telling, uh, th- telling Israel through the prophet Isaiah to shut the doors. I can't. Away with your solemn feasts. Why? Because they were doing the right things with bad hearts. What about doing the wrong things then? So second commandment, worship God in the way that he has commanded. Third, respect the way God has made himself known and don't disrespect that. 
in every way where God proclaims his name, in his word, through his worship, in all those other ways, even in the world around us, don't disrespect that. God has made himself known, his name. His name in scripture means the person. God has introduced his person to us through his word. So don't uh, disrespect his word. Don't think of it less than we ought. In every way God makes himself known, receive that humbly and bow before him that God would be so kind to condescend to us in that way, to reveal himself to us. He didn't have to do that. He could have placed Adam in a howling wilderness. Instead, he placed him in a garden. Why? Because he's good and kind and he's revealed himself that way. So let's not disrespect him in how he reveals himself or make an ill use of anything by which he makes himself known. Fourth commandment, the Sabbath day commandment. This is the, this is the one that, is, that, is, that some pastors will tell us is, it just doesn't obtain in the New Testament. Beloved, these ten commandments were written together. How many other commandments then don't obtain? What teaching do we have in Scripture that would help us to know that? Some will say it hasn't been repeated in the New Testament. I say, but oh, it has. There remains a Sabbatism for the people of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9. That Sabbatism remains for us. Why? Because that to which the Sabbath points, which is gospel truth, we rest from our labors and look upon God's labors. In us resting from our labors week by week, that is a gospel promise to us that when we rest from our salvation labors and rest wholly upon Jesus Christ, that he will receive us and bring us to heaven. And so the Sabbath has a gospel witness week by week, and we need that gospel witness. We need to recognize that God provides for us in, in uh, six days of labor, seven days of substance, that we don't need to work. You guys saw on, on your way to church today, the birds are out gathering food. If you saw a coyote or a bobcat or a squirrel, he's gathering nuts today. We're not. We're gathering up nuggets for heaven. And that God has the authority to tell us that there are set times for his worship. Right? There are set times that we should worship him. We should give him one whole day in seven. It's the Lord's day and not the Lord's hour. And that we who are over others in authority ought to take special care not to keep them from sabotaging either. So we don't employ others. We don't make our servants or employees work on that day. We don't go to restaurants. Why? Because we're making other people work to serve us. But what do we do? Huh. This is the great part, right? We have a whole day to commune with God and not feel guilty that we're leaving something undone. Have you ever felt that? You know, here it is in the evening. You sit down to relax. And say, Man, I got so much more to do. I got to get up and, and, and go do some more. You know what? All that goes away on the Lord's day. The Lord says, you get your work done six days, and then on the seventh day, you come to me and look at my work instead. And then we learn to do that as a cadence, as a habit, don't we? So that's the fourth commandment, that there are set times God has appointed in his word. There are no holidays in the New Testament except 52 per year. This year, 53. Right? We get 53 this year. Okay? So no no, we don't celebrate Christmas, if you're wondering. We don't. We don't celebrate uh, Easter. We don't bring those into the church. 
Nope. Because God hasn't commanded it. These are things that the church did over the centuries to try to draw people in through syncretistic exercises. Like the children of Israel did at the base of Sinai. When they said, let's worship God by a golden calf. You know, that's what we did in Egypt. We'll just reclaim that for Jesus. And Moses made them grind it up, pour it on the brook, and drink it down that it might appear in the draft. You know what I mean by that. Fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. And the fifth commandment is very clear. We talked about it a little bit ago, so we need not belabor it here. We're simply saying that God has set up structures of authority in this world, and we sin when we thwart those structures of authority. Sometimes certain authorities want to exercise authority where they have no authority. That's also a sin in the fifth commandment. To be a rebel against lawful authority is a sin against the fifth commandment. It's not just mom and dad, in other words. It's every relationship that can be classed either as superiors, inferiors, or equals. And our larger catechism has quite a little bit to say about how we manage those various relationships. Sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Okay? There is lawful killing authorized in Scripture. This is not an absolute prohibition against the termination of anyone's life ever. There is capital punishment in Scripture. We need to recognize that. That when we strike against the image of God, we will indeed be struck against ourselves. But in the sixth commandment, we are to take care to plan our lives in such a way that we're not put in a position uh, of violence. It, It also includes violence against one another. Unnecessary violence. Self-defense is a part of the Sixth Commandment. When you defend yourself, you're keeping the Sixth Commandment, not violating it. Okay, so there are lots of implications there. The Seventh Commandment teaches us about human intimacy. Okay, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Very simple, very straightforward. And yet every particular Uh, human act of intimacy is covered under the seventh commandment and regulated by it. One woman, one man, one marriage for life. That's the biblical pattern. Now there are sins that take place that can make for other situations. Those have to be talked through. But the point is that the standard is the same. The standard doesn't move. It doesn't change. Remember that some people will tell you that, you know, if your ox falls in the ditch and you pull your your ox out on the Sabbath day, that that's an exception to the fourth commandment. No, that's keeping the fourth commandment. There are no exceptions to the commandments. There are ways, however, that these commandments are put to naught by others and must be set to right. And so there are ways of of doing that, the detail of we don't have time to go into today. The eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, that speaks to us about what? Private property. There is such a thing as private property. If there was no private property, there could be no stealing. If all property was community property, it would be impossible to steal. Right? I've told you about my my friend who was a missionary to the Maasai in Africa. They believe that God gave them all the cows. And so every spring they go out to all their neighbors' farms and tribes and collect all their cows. To the great chagrin of their neighbors. Because they think, hey, those are my cows, right? Private property is established then. So this, this horrible thing that has 
taking over our world, this Marxist idea that you owe people things simply because they're in need. You owe them your affections, and if you have opportunity and they have need, surely you can lend and give. But to make that something that is mandatory, to make that a law such that they come and knock on your door and take you away to jail if you don't, we have a word for that. We call that theft. That's what that is. So generosity is not forbidden, it is rather enjoined. Because if everybody's not taking from your pot, you have more to give to others. And that's, that's the expectation of Christians. But when you're under the thumb of excessive taxation and other such things that bring you to near poverty, you have less to give. The ninth commandment is speaking the truth one with another. Uh, we could, we could talk long and, and with great detail on the ninth commandment. We live in a day when, like it says in Isaiah 59, truth has fallen in the streets and it cannot enter. Uh, we are rather skeptical of almost everything we hear in the public square these days, are we not? We hear something and we think that's a lie. I know I find myself doing that a lot. Oh, that's a lie. Why do they say that? That's a lie. And yet it goes on and on and on. Well, we don't want to be gullible, but we don't want to be cynical either. These are difficult, difficult days with regard to the truth. So then the best thing we can do is to speak the truth one to another at all times and help one another to do so. And then the Tenth Commandment, like we said, is the rudder for the whole. It puts them in the heart. The Apostle Paul will use this in his autobiographical work, won't he? When he says, I was alive once apart from the commandment, but then the commandment came and sin revived and I died. And what was the commandment? Thou shalt not covet. And I found in myself all manner of concupiscence or coveting, illicit desire. No, as a Pharisee, I could look at commandments one through nine and say, got it, got it, got it, all the way, one through nine. But then I looked at my heart in commandment number 10 and I found out that as the 10th commandment informs the heart of all the other commandments that I was guilty <laughs> before God so it's not only outward commandments and those who will tell you that keeping the commandments is legalistic you just say no keeping the commandments is obedience it cannot be legalistic it cannot be merely outward religion because the tenth commandment puts the heart to the whole and then one more thing and I'll, and I'll be done with the commandments and that is that we say in our larger catechism and we say in uh, several places of scripture, or at least it's implied there, that the fourth commandment is a kind of hinge pin for the rest. That in keeping the fourth commandment, it's better, easier to keep the rest of the commandments of God. That a strong view of the Sabbath day will parlay into greater obedience in all of the other commandments. And I think that's good divinity and good, div good advice for all of us. All right, so then the rest of this chapter uh, will begin what is called the Book of the Covenant. The Book of the Covenant is what Moses will read before the people, which will be Exodus chapters 20, 21, 22, and 23. In chapter 24, he reads that book before the people, and they say, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do and be obedient. We'll be his people, he'll be our God 
This is the basis on which they will confess themselves to be God's people. Not on the basis of their obedience, right? That if you disobey, you won't be my people anymore. How many times does God forgive them? Let's throw out that idea of a covenant of works there at Sinai. Let's throw it out. And let's show how gracious God was in condescending, giving his commandments, drawing his people into covenant with himself, and then forgiving their sin over and over and over and over again, which is a covenant of grace and not a covenant of works. Well, we're out of time. There's only one more thing that I want to mention in this chapter, and then we'll be done. And that is this building of an altar. Very, very important stuff. Not only were they to stay away from the making of graven images, but even when they built up altars, they were not to fashion them. You'll make an earthen altar. Nothing special about it. And if you use stones, you'll not fashion those stones. As soon as you put a tool on that stone, it's no longer acceptable. It's polluted. You've entered your creativity into my worship, and that is unacceptable, God says. Human creativity does not belong in God's worship. Okay? All right, with that then, let's stand and